suffering, resentment, the intent to deceive. What does all this have to do with the midterms? Gosh, we wish nothing, right? Um, I don't know. I've I've tried to put together the pieces here, uh, and and this is this is going to be a difficult one to follow. <laughs> I can. I'm warning you. If you don't enjoy being lost in ideas and possibilities and guesses about reality in the future, you're probably not going to enjoy this little wandering through the hedge maze. Um, but this is just the way it's come together. Like I, I set out to, I talked previously in, in one of the segments on the, um, on the midterms about suffering. I mentioned it briefly. And it felt like I needed to deal <laughs> suffering. Jesus, we're like it's not. I'm not going to sit here and talk about <laughs> like it's. Uh, I'm not going to deal with the suffering as such. I'm going to try and uh, because that's just not. You know, I'm not ready to do that in a podcast. I'm not sure it belongs in a podcast segment. Um, so don't worry. We're not going to talk about suffering. And there was this great lolcat <laughs> like ten years ago. I think it was Schopenhauer cat. Schopenhauer cat contemplates suffering, and he had this faces <laughs> with this. I thought it was awesome. It was not awesome, like in relation to suffering. It just really captured the idea of some ponderous person contemplating suffering. I promise you, dear listener, I am not going to be Schopenhauer cat pondering suffering. A ponderous person pondering suffering. I will not be. This is retrace. This is Retrace. If you've never listened before, this is the sort of stuff that happens. Nobody knows in advance. Retrace segment number 46 for Thursday, November 10th, 2022. 11 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. No, I always flip those. 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Specific. I also do that a lot. 8 p.m. Specific. Uh, It is 4 a.m. in London. You Londoners already know what time it is. That's why you got up so early. Uh, 12 noon in Beijing where they're having lunch. Although a bit, China is all in one time zone. So like 12 noon on the far west side of China is like what we would, you know, it would be like 8 or 9 a.m. in the United... Anyway, uh, 3 p.m. in Sydney. Good eye, mate. All right, let's contemplate suffering. No, we're not going to contemplate suffering. We're going to contemplate suffering, resentment, and intent to deceive. All right, so... First, I'm going to start with the deception, the bad faith part of this. What is bad faith? What do we mean by bad faith? It has a legal definition. It has a philosophical definition. We are using just intent to deceive as our stand-in for bad faith. You'll hear some people, the the sort of, the the maxim or the, um, what do you call it? Ideogram? What, what's the word I'm looking for? A little short phrase that... Uh, that, that, that bad faith changes everything. You'll hear that on Sam Harris has said that a few times. I'm, he got it from somewhere else. I don't know. But anyway, what do we mean by bad faith? We mean intent to deceive. At least that's what we mean right here. You can mean other things more nuanced or specific. So let's start with the, de- the intent to deceive. We've talked a lot about deception on Retrace. Why the bad faith? Why? I'm going to talk about all these things that are going on or that are good guesses about what's going on that are that are you know what what make these midterms and this next 2024 presidential election what make them so um 
salient is not, can't be the right word, hot, dangerous, frightening, or if you're someone bringing the violence, um, exciting, right? Um, what makes it that? It's, I, I, you know, it, all these different things that go into that. I'm not going to talk about normal politics here. I'm going to talk about the things that are making these elections, these politics different. And the first one that we, that, that's going to affect all the other ones is bad faith. Intent to deceive. What, why does intent to deceive happen? I'm going to give you just these two basic reasons. Competition in the most primordial and also, you know, social Darwinist sort of way, competition, and then other incentives. Competition is one incentive, you know, competition for whatever resource um, is an incentive, but then also there are other incentives that are not, that are not directly in competition with you. And, and like, who's getting deceived? You, me, the people who are worried about or feel like they might be deceived is, is what, what I'm positing here. Why would, why would we be deceived? Because there are people in a position to deceive us who, have, who are either in competition with us or who have an, an other incentive to deceive us like profit, making money. You know, you make more money from someone who thinks that the election has been stolen if it hasn't than if you inform them of the truth and then they don't watch as much news. I'm not saying the election was not stolen. I don't think it was, but I'm not here to convince you of that. I'm, I, I would have to do a lot of work on Mike for you to to make that case and that's not what i'm here to do today so why would someone deceive you or me they're either in competition with us for something think love money or they have they're not in direct competition we're not trying we're not fighting over the same mate or we're not fighting over the same uh you know profit but they have an incentive they you know like profit motive usually to keep us deceived and there's a lot of perverse incentive they're not even perverse it's just you know, one person's profit often comes at another person's loss, indirectly and sometimes directly. All right, that's the bad faith. Every single one of these things, if you think about it and you think, oh, they might be lying to us or, oh, that might not be, you know, that, that's, that might not be the truth. Why? Because of deception? Well, it could be error, but let's, you know, let's assume that we all understand that errors happen in understanding deception is the one that's hard and Competition and incentives are why deception happens. Okay. I broke it down into three. It's like, what is it? Five, eleven things. I shouldn't tell you that because now it sounds like it's going to be long. I'm not going to make this long. We're at seven minutes already? Time flies. First, we're going to talk about dysfunction. Then we're going to talk about competition. And then we're going to talk about hope against technology. And I'm just going to go right through it. Number one. Blue and red politics and civil war suggest the question, what's going on? Why would we be talking about blue and red politics in the context of of re-19, nature is not effing around, and civil war in the United States, a second civil war, that's hypothesis number five, see retrace 17 for that. What's going on? Aren't we just voting for representatives and ballot propositions and aren't these just referenda? Okay, so that's the first thing. Suggest the question, what's going on? Well, f- one thing that we know for sure is going on that's unusual is deaths of despair. This is point number two. Deaths of despair. And I should say, the Civil War case is made by Barbara Walter in her book, How Civil Wars Start. I'm going to cite these things very briefly as I walk through them. Deaths of despair. Case and Deaton, the economists 
wrote the book about it. Basically, they noticed that de- um, mortality was increasing, and then they looked into it more, and they discovered it was, which is very unusual, like civilization, especially in the 20th century Western countries, like their mortality doesn't, uh, I'm sorry, life expectancy was decreasing. So, so, so it, it normally over the last 100, 120 years, it's been going up. Um, they noticed it was going, not only was it not going up, it was going down. And they discovered that it, the, the, the factors that had changed, the difference factors, the, 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 what was going on was suicide, addiction, and, um, and, and then within addiction, you've got drug overdoses and alcoholism, death, you know, cirrhosis and what they call, um, accidental poisoning in, on the death certificates, which is drug overdoses. So suicide on the one hand, and then addiction in the form of drug overdoses and cirrhosis. And they define these things, you know, they eventually started using the term deaths of despair and they wrote a whole book about it. Um, and they, and they, they say that, among, you know, among, like, what's going on? Look, I haven't read the whole book, to be sure. A lot of these, I haven't read the whole book, the things I'm going to mention today. Um, but in their intro and in their outlining of the case, they say the four-year college degree is the major divider in the United States. We're talking about the United States with this death, deaths of despair thing. The four-year college degree seems to be cleaving us into two groups. If you don't have the four-year college degree... All kinds of indicators in your life get worse, and conversely, if you do have it, they get better. Um, and this speaks to and connects to Tinbergen's definition of or, or, or explanation for um, income inequality based on the race between technology and education. If there's a big, the bigger and bigger the gap between the, the cutting edge of technology versus the cutting edge of education, the worse the income inequality is going to be. We talked about that recently, I think the last segment, maybe the one before. Um, and we'll talk more about it below. But I would also like to say that I like a lot of, I know a lot of people who show signs of this despair. They haven't experienced deaths of despair, thankfully. They don't look, most of them, like they're headed there. But the despair I see, they all have four-year college degrees. And I don't. And I'm not despairing. Do I seem despairing? No. I don't seem like it to me. I don't feel like it. But, you know, that's now. Times are different in a person's life. But these people all have four-year college degrees. And it made me wonder, is the new four-year college degree, is is the four-year college degree of the future going to be the graduate degree? Just something to think about. Maybe they, they notice that as well. Because, um, you know, research is always backward looking. You can't look into the future and say, oh, you know, now it's like this, but in the future we know it's going to be this. That's all much less certain. Okay, so deaths of despair, suicide and addiction, four-year college degree. Uh, suicide is what? Well, we're going to talk in a second about one way to think about suicide, but for, let's just leave suicide aside for a second. Addiction is the opposite of connection. That's the new idea. Johan Hari... Um, in his book, Chasing the Scream. Good. The parts of it that I've read have been really good. I have not read it cover to cover. Um, but I've read the part about uh, opposite addiction being the opposite. Of, he says the opposite of addiction is connection. That's the way, I think that's usually the way he phrases it. And uh, so we can think of it that way. We'll talk more about connection in a second here. Um, what's the biological basis of addiction? Well, 
according to Mark Lewis, who wrote a recent book, not, not that recent, but you know, a few years ago, six, seven years ago, I think, um, it's basically just ha- a habit on steroids. <laughs> not to not not the pun, but um, he says it's it's very normal. Addiction is a very normal brain behavior based on neural circuitry and, and um, neurochemistry. Um, but the difference is that the desire, the the starting desire, plus the repetition and the narrowing of attention and attraction are what make addiction habits different from normal habits. Um, so obviously all habits start with a desire, but the repetition, especially quick repetition, um, narrows the attention and therefore narrows the attraction until you're sort of zero in, zeroed in on one thing and you can't really break out of it because it's a habit. Habits are strong. Addictions can be broken. Happens all the time, but it's hard. Much harder than like you got a bad habit of biting your nails versus... I mean, how focused and pleasurable can biting your nails be compared to heroin? <laughs> I've never done heroin, but I I can say almost unequivocally that it is more intense, more narrowing and focusing of attention and attraction than biting your nails. And yet, at least according to Mark Lewis, the two things are in the same on the same spectrum of habit, human habit. Okay, that's all about dysfunction. Deaths of despair, addiction, suicide. Let's talk about competition. Do you have any territory, dear listener? Have you acquired it? Have you acquired any territory yet in your life, dear listener? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. It's good to have territory. And that's to say nothing of mineral rights or all the other things and mortgages and all the other things that can caveat and asterisk your territory. But, you know, just a good old-fashioned place to live that you own or that you're, you've mortgaged instead of, instead, of, you know, in, instead of paying rent. There are, good, there are lots of good situations where you should pay rent, but as the older you get in general, it's, it's agreed by economists and, and, uh, and everybody else that you know, it's better to own as you get older. Have you done that yet? Well, um, you might take it more seriously it's not going to fig- I mean, the, the things that lead up to whether or not you've done it are not going to be affected by knowing what I'm about to tell you. But you might take it more seriously when you evaluate others and yourself in the competition for territory. Remember, territory is finite. Um, as are mates. Uh, Richard Dawkins in The Selfish Gene, he extensively... Uh, sketches the idea, the ideas of Wynne Edwards about population control and how some animals seem to sort of do it without letting starvation and disease do it for them. Um, but anyway, I don't think I can look. So, so um, uh, Dawkins. He characterizes the idea, and then later he sort of challenges it and says, "This is not a good explanation on the basis of the selfish gene." So, what I'm going to this is this is Win Edwards really his idea as characterized by Dawkins, but Dawkins undercuts it a little bit. If the population gets too big, some individuals will. Not, he's talking about various sorts of animals um, that do things that are surprising. If the population gets too big, some individuals will not get territories and therefore will not breed. Winning a territory is therefore to Win Edwards to win Edwards, i.e. to him. Um, like, I think it's a him. Uh, like winning a ticket or license to breed. 
Winning territory is like winning a ticket or a license to breed. Since there is a finite number of territories available, it is as if a finite number of breeding licenses is issued. Individuals may fight over who gets these licenses, but the total number of babies that the population can have as a whole is limited by the number of territories available. Bet you never thought about that when you thought about getting a house. But, or maybe you did. Again, Dawkins doesn't totally agree with this, if, if not partially. I'm not sure if he does. Because I just haven't read it in a long time, and I, and I just, this part grabbed, jumped out at me, but I didn't go read the end of Dawkins' rebuttal. In some cases, for instance, in red, for instance, the red, or in red grouse, I don't know what animal that is. What's a red grouse or grouse? I feel like I used to know that too. What a grouse, grouse is plural for something, right? Individuals do, at first sight, seem to show restraint because I think this is the part that Dawkins objects to is the, the, the restraint part. Individuals do, at first sight, seem to show restraint because those who cannot win territories not only do not breed, they also appear to give up the struggle to win a territory. Give up the struggle. Deaths of despair. That's, what it, that's why it caught me. The people that I see... I see some sort of giving up of the struggle. Maybe you see the same thing. It is as though they all accepted the rules of the game, that if by the end of the competition season you have not secured one of the official tickets to breed, you voluntarily refrain from breeding and leave the lucky ones unmolested during the breeding season so they can get on with propagating the species. That's the part that, first of all, I mean, think about that. That's quite an image. But also, that's the part that Dawkins is going to object to because it's not quite selfish gene logic. When Edwards interprets dominance hierarchies in a similar way, um, they submit to struggle to individuals that they know are likely to beat them, um, etc., etc. Okay. We don't have to accept Win Edwards' idea, but it is worth thinking about territory and other things that can be interpreted as territory, just like breathing space in life, like do you have utilities, et cetera, et cetera, um, as licenses or, or partial licenses, part of the collective license to breed. Uh, and of course, breeding is a desirable thing. Are, are you not desire, desirous of that? Uh, what else? Well, Friedman and Michaels in their book on um, nuclear strategy uh, paraphrase Little Hart, a British diplomat, I forget, um, and when he talks about how we, we, we can get used to any sort of degradation in our quality of life if it's done gradually, but if it's done quickly, that's when, if, if it's a shock to the system, that's when we react. Uh, so that's an important thing. Uh, is this happening? Is, is, this, is there a degradation? And like, you know, is the, are the deaths of despair a sudden new thing? Yes. Okay. Are we getting used to them? No, because it's, it's a shock. What, what's causing them is a shock. We haven't discussed what's causing them yet. Um, going back to Barbara Walter and her book, How, how uh, Civil Wars Start, one of the things that she, 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 I think she's quoting a study, the power trajectory is the best predictor of whether a group is going to become violent in a factionalized or divided society. Looking for predictive predictors, the two major predictors of civil war are... Um, Anocracy, somewhere between democracy and and uh, and totalitarianism. Anocracy, you're like you haven't really decided what you're going to be, and then the other one is factionalization. So those are the two main predictors, according to their um, academic uh, study of the topic. 
or uh, of the phenomenons of civil war. But if you're trying to predict who's going to become violent, power trajectory do, in the recent past has a group's power as they see it gone down or up. If it's gone down in the recent past significantly, then they're, they're the, that's the best predictor of whether they're going to be violent. So if you're wondering why are people talking about civil war, I don't know. How easy is it for these people to get territory? Is, has their power been going up or going down and how quickly? These are the sorts of things we have to think about. She also talks about, later in the book, the hunger for community as being sort of a counterforce or, or an unmet need that, can, that leads to, dis, to discontent. And that goes back to addiction being the opposite of connection or connection being the opposite of addiction. The hunger for community. What about hope? Probably people don't go to violent extremes when they have hope, some shred of hope. Actually, Walter talks all about hope. Hope is over and over again important, especially like in the first third of the book. But um, what are they hoping for? They're hoping for betterment, I think, is the easiest way to say it. Addiction hope, power hope, hoping that, you know, you're, the hope that, that – addiction is sort of more hopeful than suicide, right, if you think about it. Like, if you really have no hope, the S word – but if you are just miserable, the A word, suicide versus addiction. You don't have to call in the A and the S word. I thought maybe I should, but I shouldn't. So, okay, hoping for betterment. Betterment of what? Well, first of all, what is betterment at all? I mean, I, I think it's a rate. I think it's, it's, it's not... It's not like an absolute. Otherwise, we would constantly be over the moon happy with our station in life because we are so much better off than the original humans, right? It's not that. Betterment is sort of a, it's a speed. It's, it's time over distance, distance over time. And, and we detect, we can't detect the speed as easily as we can detect, or if at all, the acceleration, the change. Maybe things are getting better faster. We can detect that. Everybody's gangbusters is great. Or getting worse. Or, or not getting better as fast. Maybe that's where we are now. Things were getting better at a certain clip. Now they're still getting better by a lot of measures, but nobody wants to hear it because it's not as we're not. It's not getting as better as it was getting better for our parents or our grandparents or whatever, or, or how we perceive them to have lived, not necessarily accurately. So if betterment is a rate, and the change is what we detect, the acceleration is the change in the rate, the derivative. But we can also detect photons. I don't remember who said this, but it's like. It's obvious that, you know, our happiness about or our, our unhappiness about how other people live really depends on, you know, what we're, what's close to us in time and space and, and sort of in, in society. You know, we're not sitting around miserable because people have yachts, most of us. But what if we had to watch those yachts every day, you know, would that... I mean, you can either live in the cornfields in Nebraska or you can live in circular key, uh, on Circular Key in Sydney. And, but you, you, can only, you, can't, you have the same amount of money either way, same income, same prospects in life. Well, the first Circular Key in Sydney is going to be exciting and all that, but after a while, I've, I know this, like the people in Sydney, they stop seeing it. They stop seeing it. I stopped seeing it. But, but I, I tried hard not to and I, I didn't and I, I succeeded in, in trying uh, you stop seeing 
the touristy stuff, the thing that brought you there. And then, you you know, you start to notice, like, I think Tuesdays are Dr. Yacht Day. Like, the, the I think it's Tuesdays. I forget. Or was it Wednesdays? Where all the doctors go out on the boat day. They all go out on their boats. I got to be honest with you. Not having a boat myself, I had mixed feelings about that. <laughs> I had mixed feelings about that. And that's not a rate thing. I'm not detecting, you no know, things are getting better or worse for me at a different rate. That's just photons. I'm just seeing that. I can just see that. Whereas, if, we, if we're removed from the people who have it way better off than us, it's not so, it's not so bothersome. I, I, I can't source that. I don't remember where I heard that idea. But anyway, I think it's, maybe it's a truism. So we're hoping for betterment, betterment, hope, hope for love and money, let's say, are the two big things, like we want love, we want money. We're hoping for those things, but again, we're hoping for those things to get better. But we're hoping against something, something that we've recently talked about. We're hoping against technology. Why? Hope for love. But technology has separated us physically. Love is not this, the, the, rec- the magic rectangle with your thumbs and an app, swipe left, swipe, swipe right. That's not how we're built, man. You can't do it that way. Can you? Seems hard. Seems like it's going to be hard. There are exceptions. There are exceptions. But in general... I owe this point to Scott Galloway, the, uh, I think he's like a marketing professor at NYU. He was on Bill Maher, and he, he dropped this phrase, Porsche polygamy, which I think is a fantastically important idea. Um, but I, he, I, it doesn't look like he's written about it. I think he just, he says it in conversations. I can find him quoted in conversations, but I, he needs to write about it. But anyway, um, technology has, has separated us, first and foremost, physically. We no longer have to be in the presence of each other. Why is that important? Pheromones. Uh, body language. Microexpressions. Timbre and intonation and all the magic that happens face-to-face. It's magical. Magical. This is not magical, the rectangle. This is not an excellent rectangle. <laughs> That's a Parks and Rec reference. That's that... that no, the technology... Now, can it make things possible that weren't possible before? Falling in love with someone overseas? Yes, it can. Absolutely. We know this for a fact. But, in the aggregate, this can't be good. It can't be good. Can it? Maybe. Maybe the metaverse is going to be good for us. This sort of thing, where we don't have the pheromones anymore, or the facial expressions. We just get whatever Mark Zuckerberg wants us to get. But, Mark Zuckerberg didn't invent the smartphone. In fact, he barely caught up with it, with Facebook. He had, he, he had to drag his company into the 21st century forcefully in order to get Facebook from the desktop native environment to the phone native environment. Technology has separated us. Most, first and foremost, you know, when it comes to hoping for love, the phone separates us. No pheromones. Scott Galloway makes this point. In, in the little clip that I'll, I'll cite. Um, what do women do? According to Scott Galloway, they look for your ability to, re, to get the man's 
ability to garner resources in the future. If you don't have pheromones, you don't have that magic going on. The chemistry. It's literally chemistry. If you don't have the chemistry or the opportunity for chemistry, you're not going to have it just because you're in the presence of each other, but it's more likely. I don't know where I've learned this, but it, I, I can... It's true. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, the more you're around somebody, the more you're attracted to them. It's just true. I'm not trying to tell you anything, any stories in my life. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not telling any stories. But it's true. It's true. It's, <laughs> gosh, all these stories are coming to my mind. I don't want to talk about it. If, uh, if you don't know that yet, you will learn it soon enough. But if you're behind your phone, you'll never learn it. Okay? The chemistry is not there. What does a woman look for when she's on the rectangle? What can you look for? Is this guy... Oh, he drives a Porsche? That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Garner resources. Garner resources in the past. That means you can garner resources in the future. I like it. Swipe. I've never done it before. Which way is the one where you swipe like you do want that person? I think it's swipe. I don't know. I'm not going to say it. It's swipe in that direction. I've never done it before. <laughs> okay. So technology has separated us. And Galloway points out that this, this causes women to change what they look for. And I know I'm simplifying men and women, but that's not, that's a pretty fair simplification of love in the world. I know there's every kind of exception to the man-woman thing, but you know, all, it applies to all those too, but I just want to list them all out, right? What about hope for, oh, the other thing, sorry, before I move on, the other thing that the phone does, the other thing that technology does in the dating is consolidate, every, he, this is Galloway again, it consolidates everything. Every, you know, every, in a market, when, when a technology enters the market, it consolidates it. That's the way he puts it. So 10%, 90%, or 80-20 is the power law sort of distribution. It turns it into an 80-20 uh, power distribution situation. So like 10 20% of the men get 80% of the women or vice versa. Um, and that's where Galloway comes up with the Porsche polygamy idea where it's like all the dates go to one guy or like, you know, four guys out of 60 or whatever and then blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's Porsche polygamy. Um so we're hoping, what are we hoping against? We're hoping against technology. We might not realize it, but it's against technology on that front. What about for money? What about hoping for money? How is that? What, what's, what, isn't technology going to help us make money? Some of us. Power law distribution types. Winner-take-all economy types. Um, but if technology, as Tinbergen says, if technology is in a race with education, and when technology is beating education, we have income inequality getting worse and worse in proportional to the to the gap in the race well how bad does it get before you lose hope how bad does the dating market have to get before you lose hope think about that if you have somebody if you found someone hopefully the one but even if it's just someone think about the people They still have hope, but how long or under what circumstances will they have hope? And it's not unconnected to money. It's very hard to relax and enjoy yourself, or enjoy yourself on a date if you are struggling financially. It's embarrassing to struggle financially. It's distracting to struggle. You know, 
one of the best ideas about poverty I've ever heard is that it's really expensive to be poor. It was, Brooke Gladstone said it on an, uh, on an episode of, uh, on the media. I don't know where she got it from, but I really like that idea. And she was making the point that, you know, when you can't do things, when you can't, you know, like the easiest example is like you, if, you, if you're going to pay for something for a year, you should take the, the annual discount. But poor people can't do that. They, they're going to use the service for a year. They know that. But they need the money up front. That's why they get the discount. So it costs more money to not have money. Money is like that. Money is sort of a, a snowball effect. It's a Warren Buffett. I shouldn't put all these things in here. Warren Buffett calls interest rates or compound interest the, the law of gravity of economics or the equivalent of the law of gravity of economics. Compound interest. You're either earning compound interest or you're paying compound interest, right? It's pretty hard to, to, not, to, to be doing neither. You have to be off the grid, off the financial grid. Hope for love, hope for money, hope for betterment in general. Why is technology pushing against this? It's also pushing for it, obviously. You know, technology does so many good things. What's, what's the difference at the margin? What is the marginal cost or marginal benefit of technology to our species? Answer that question. That might be the ultimate question of our time. Is it? Well, I don't know. I don't want to say it's the ultimate question of our time. This is just a podcast. We can't, we can't aim that big. All right, so we've talked about deception because of competition or other incentives like profit. We've talked about dysfunction, all the things that seem to be going wrong in the United States. And by the way, if it's happening in the United States, it's coming to a Western democracy near you, is the general feeling that I have. Not sure I could make that case, but that's the feeling. That's my guess. We talked about competition, acquiring, controlling territory, and how fast things change in our power and how that's connected to the prediction of violence. And we talked about hope, hope for a better life, hope for love, hope for money, and how technology, you know, we don't know if it's a net positive. But if you accept all this, if you accept all this, all, all this is some sort of good sketch of the dynamics going on in the United States that are different from, that make this midterms different, that make the next presidential election different. If you accept all of this, as some good sketch of the hyper-object of American society in 2022. You have to accept that something is happening to us. You have to let go of the idea, if you have it, you fool, that all the bad guys are on one side. Bad guys don't do that. They don't team up. Not in big groups. They go wherever the opportunity is. If some fool thinks that their team is only good guys, the bad guy sees that as the golden opportunity to sneak in and be bad. It's not that the bad guys are all on one side, man. Woman. <laughs> if you are a Democrat and you think that all Republicans are bad, you're an idiot. If you think that all the bad guys are, are Republicans, you're an idiot. 
If you are a Republican who thinks all Democrats are bad, you're an idiot. If you are a Republican who thinks all the bad guys went to the Democratic Party, you're an idiot. An effing idiot, both groups of you just described. Something is happening to us. Doesn't mean that we're not involved. Doesn't mean that we don't have agency and control. But these forces are way, way bigger and more complicated than individuals. And if, any, if no one's even cognizant of these possibilities, thinking of them, consciously holding them in their head, how could they possibly be responsible for their consequences or responsible for not stopping them? Nature is not effing around. But neither are we. We're kind of against nature. Nature has repeatedly tried to kill us throughout history. Nature is also the reason we're here, but it's like nature brought us into existence and has been sniping, but not in a malign way. We just have to deserve it. This is the the atheist slash, not agnostic, but I'm more atheist than agnostic, but I don't claim that there's no nothing because how could you know but this is the atheist in me obviously if you're a religious person the game is totally different and you need to put your own model onto what I'm saying right now but if you're an atheist nature doesn't care it doesn't hate you and it doesn't love you it just blindly blind watchmaker like is selecting it is not effing around it is selecting and there are rules to the game and we are in the game and nature is giving us a chance and is also trying to kill us. But we have been victorious until today, November 10th, 2022. Now, 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 now. Every time now isn't the end of the human species or even just the end of you. That's victory over nature. If nature is not effing around, if something is happening to us, if it's not just bad guys, right there, the blue ones. We're not effing around either. We're good. We can do stuff. We can build bridges and save lives and be nice to each other even though we don't agree. Overcome civil wars. We've done it once in this country, many times in others. Overcome world wars. We've done that twice. We're not effing around either. That's it. Retrace segment number 46. All references will be in the PDF notes. Whew, so many references. Uh, R-E-T-R-A-I-C-E dot com. Next segment's tomorrow, same time, 11 p.m. 8 specific. Signing off. <laughs>